0: Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it. Brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host Jenny Gladman, and in this sixth season, we delve deeper into the world of clean tech startups and their founders, from inspiring stories and words of wisdom to the toughest challenges. You can expect to learn about how these pioneering startups and the founders at their helm are propelling us towards a cleaner, greener tomorrow. In addition, they'll be offering you timeless teachings to enlighten, engage and inspire everyone, everywhere to live their purpose. So today's guest has had an extremely interesting story, it's taken him from a childhood in Poland to completing his academic journey doing his PhD in the United States where he then went on to have a very successful career and also to build a family and he is now back in Europe cruising around on bicycles with his four children. Uh, where else but the Netherlands. Uh, in recent years, Piotrek has decided that it was time to find something more meaningful. Today, we'll find out what that is um, and how this led him to co-founding Hydrogen Prospect just under a year ago. So I am delighted to welcome co-founder and CEO of Hydrogen Prospect, Piotrek Lewandowski, to Conversations in Clean Tech. Welcome.
1: Hi, Jenny. Thank you for having me here. I'm very honored to to join this conversation in Cleantech.
0: Well, welcome. Um, and I will uh, I'll hand it over to you to tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: So I was uh, born and raised in Poland, but I always had the curiosity to uh, look outside. And I, uh, I went through my education in po- Poland. I got my uh, master's degree in physics. And then I had a, a really good opportunity to Continue my studies in the in the states. Uh, so after graduating from uh, Warsaw University of Technology, I went to get get on my PhD at the University of Iowa uh, in atmospheric physics, uh, and that was really you know this was fulfilling my childhood dreams of just understanding how the world works. Really, right? Uh, well, I was passionate about physics uh, and then observing the the world and 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 uh, trying to. Uh, understand it. So during that time both in my uh, studies in Poland uh I was focused on uh, solid state physics and there was uh, w- we we had a big program on uh, material characterizations that was later could be used in hydrogen um fuel cells so there was a you know that angle was really interesting for me uh when I wanted uh, to to get my graduate degree I um I focused on atmospheric physics and then that degree really allowed me to understand the uh, the solar I guess energy I was I was we were building solar spectrometers and um, so I was both um, constructing the instrumentation equipment and also programming it and trying to see find applications for uh, how to understand the solar energy coming in um, that was really interesting um, except I graduated uh, in the wrong time in 2009 during the uh, in the midst of the Great Recession. So that was uh, not the best time. My original plan to actually be to stay with academia. I liked teaching and I, uh, I, I, I it was very fulfilling. But unfortunately, you know, the universities closed, uh, froze all the hiring. And um, so I uh, I started out looking outside in the industry at one of the AGU, American Geophysical Union meetings in, in San Francisco. And actually in 2008, I went to career fair and I... Run into um, uh, uh, one of the oil and gas companies. We had an interview. Uh, they were happy <laughs> with what I what I had to offer and add to the value. And long story short, they hired me in 2010. I started my my career over in Houston in oil and gas. Um, I was in field operations in the upstream, so in, in oil and gas exploration. What you would call a, a, today maybe an oil finder, right? Um, uh, and the job was really great. I mean, got got me travel uh, all across the world. Um, I mean, pretty much across five continents. And um, this was very hands on work. I liked it a lot. The bit that never really—I mean, this was not really my large scheme plan, right? For my for my career, uh, that was uh, really interesting. The bit was uh, the company did not want to necessarily uh, switch to the to to the more green. Um, energy and and um, that was a little bit frustrating at the beginning and but the 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 work was still interesting so we continue on um, but uh, at some point we you know the frustration grew to to the point where um, you know I was looking to uh, to, to to sort of uh, put my my skills my talent somewhere else right and this is where the idea of actually switching to uh, hydrogen came about. Um, I met uh, actually within the company I met uh, another uh, another guy my co-founder we thought okay well uh, we have we have learned a, a great deal we want to we have a lot of uh, skills how we can we put them to better good and um, he was a geologist by by training by education I was a geophysicist kind of on the job trained so we thought okay let's let's look at uh, hydrogen but uh, let's look at specifically at the storage of hydrogen, because we knew this is going to be a really key element that is is not really addressed at the moment, and we had the right skills to to address it. So we we started a a, a company in the Netherlands. We thought this is going to be a great, really good place to start this 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 venture. Uh, why Netherlands? Uh, primarily because Netherlands has really all the ingredients to be a very successful at turning this ship around. Right? They they had legacy, uh, legacy f- fossil fuel industry, and they, as a as a as a nation, as a society, they decided they want to walk away from from fossil fuels, and they collectively decided that this is not the right way of going forward. And this was, I mean, this was one of the things that really impressed um, both me and my my. my my business partner and we thought okay well this is definitely we don't have to explain why we're doing this in, in the netherlands we it just sort of happens already here so after the pandemic in 2022 we uh, so not 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 even nine months ago we actually moved over here i moved my family and we have been on the ground in operation for for um about nine months now um i uh, so i i i am the only person on the ground in the netherlands uh, uh i i get to be the the CEO of this venture, so uh, so a lot of the responsibilities fall on me to start this business up, and I mean we are in the very early stage of startup, but we we have the know-how, the knowledge how to uh, how to actually address the large-scale storage, right? So yeah, so that that's kind of in um, in 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 a natural you know, we are very small. Uh, we, we'd like to think of ourselves as talented, very focused, um, dedicated. Um, team uh, that is willing to to take a little bit of risk a little bit more risk right and make make this happen right in today's world it's it's a bit of a scarce commodity because um, money is everywhere right uh, you, you there's a lot of money but uh, finding the right focused small team to to pull this project is is not uh, as easy so here we are um you know our vision is a uh, c- carbon free uh, future we uh, you know uh, we want to leave this place a better place for our kids. Uh, yes, we yeah, we have four kids, and then anytime I look at them, I uh, I feel okay. Like I need to really focus my efforts on leaving the the planet a better place. And there's you know the, there's a larger context. The whole uh, climate, you know, the world, the world, the planet is warming at, an, at, a, at a just huge rate. It's it's completely unprecedented in the history and geologic history of the of the planet the rate at which it's uh, it's warming right uh i don't think we need to necessarily uh, i don't think there is any argument anymore of uh, what's causing it you know we're 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 mining massive amounts of carbon out of the ground and that carbon is unfortunately ending up in the atmosphere that's uh, that's an issue right so so yeah uh, we, we are we are here to really address these 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 key issues so with with our work we're working on one of the elements of that of changing that uh, fossil based industry uh, and and we're we're trying to help with um, accelerating that whole uh, large scale hydrogen storage um business.
0: You covered at least three of my questions. So you're, uh, you're doing my job for me. But actually, you touched on something there. And I think so our listener base is really diverse, which is fantastic. We have a lot of people that do work in clean tech and clean energy and have a, a real grasp of what's going on in the hydrogen space. And we have others who are interested in moving into this space. So obviously, we touched on the fact that hydrogen storage is the name of the game in terms of what hydrogen prospect are going to achieve. But can you give our listeners a bit of context? As to what does that actually mean? What is the purpose of hydrogen storage? Why is it so fundamental to the future of the hydrogen economy?
1: Yeah, so so that's that's a great question, and we should probably even step back. Uh, you know, it, building completely new economy based on a new you know new technology is not trivial, right? So we are uh, we have a very uh, very established uh, mature. Uh, fossil based in this uh, economy, but uh, we're now in parallel trying to build something completely new, right? So so there are key uh, three key fundamental elements that we need uh, for this uh, switch to hydrogen work uh, It's the right technology and we in most parts. We actually have the right technology Hydrogen has been around for for decades. Uh, it's it's not new but the green hydrogen or the the uh, low carbon hydrogen is really uh, the new here so the technology there is policy also so depending on the jurisdiction the country you're going to see all kinds of policies that either help uh, deployment in, of hydrogen economy or or, or slow it down uh, we are lucky that we are in the country that we that is very focused on helping accelerate that deployment and then the third component is uh, market right and market when i said market it's it's the whole you know, investment readiness, uh, you know, for banking, uh, all that money uh, that is, uh, and, and also creating uh, supply and demand, right? So that's, those are the key, key three key fundamental elements. And on top of these fundamentals, right, you can build your actual value chain, right? and value chain is really key, th- four key elements. It's production of hydrogen, uh, transportation of hydrogen, storage of hydrogen, and consumption of hydrogen, right? And in the production of hydrogen, you have um, this is a, probably the biggest piece of that value chain. You have you have not only the production of green hydrogen and electrolysis, uh, but you also have to provide green electrons, right? So all the wind farms and solar farms, right? So all that in, embedded in the production. That's a massive element of the value chain. And the transportation is uh, is already being developed. We are also lucky because in the Netherlands, uh, some of the gas fields will uh, are being shut down and they will be converted to to transporting hydrogen. So you have hydrogen pipelines um, that are kind of legacy uh, natural gas pipelines. And then uh, in s- storage uh, so yeah it's so a consumption side the, all the use cases are also being worked on. Um, there's uh, a lot of advancement in that field. but tra- storage of hydrogen, which is one of the key four key elements of the value chain, is not very, and it's not addressed really to the extent that we should have addressed it. It also takes uh, a very long time to actually uh, build large-case hydrogen storage. The most economic way to store hydrogen is actually underground in, in salt caverns. So it's a, it's, think of it as a, a cavity in salt deposits that have a domal shape. This is, um, you essentially drill a well into the, the salt deposits and you dissolve. The salt inside, uh, on site, essentially, and you create these elongated vertical cavities filled with this this, this salty water, right brine. And then when you when you are ready to store hydrogen, you essentially pump hydrogen, compressed compressed gas hydrogen, into that cavity, and then you debrine it, and then you have a, a yourself a, a storage hydrogen storage. So you, um, that's how they they are done. We have this is not a new technology. We have stored natural gas. Like that for quite a long time, since probably sixties, uh, if not earlier. Uh, and it's it, it the the new bit here is that it's actually storing hydrogen. Star- hydrogen is the smallest molecule; molecule is the first element of the periodic table because it's very small. It can escape, so you have to you have to make sure that you are using the right ingredients to in creating that that storage, which is using the right metallurgy, the right metal for the casing right elastomerics so all the rubbers all the seals have to be hydrogen grade and and the right cement for all the cement work to kind of seal off that well so that has been uh actually done already we uh, there there are at the moment four operating pure hydrogen uh, large-scale hydrogen storage uh, facilities in the world one is in uk that's an older generation one of the first kinds i believe it was uh, constructed in the 70s so I uh, was the first one. And then uh, there are more, three more hydrogen storage uh, caverns, uh, caverns in Texas. And they are more, the more modern uh, version, newer generation. Uh, we have actually approached people who have designed, developed and operated these caverns. And we have, we have a lot of that knowledge from constructing and operating these caverns on our extended team. So, uh, so it's, it's really key to have that uh, knowledge, not reinventing the wheel, we're bringing that knowledge with with us to Europe, and and that's how we we don't have to necessarily go through uh, all the piloting com- uh, proof proof of concepts. We already know that concept works. We know how to deploy it, um, so we can shortcut that time. It still takes a long time to develop a project like that from between five and seven years. So um, you know it's a, it's a long long game. But uh, so that's how we fit in this uh, in this this value chain. Also, um, you know, one thing that I would like your listeners to understand is for every two, 200 megawatt electrolyzer facility that we're going to put in, you probably need about one cavern, salt cavern, right? So this is, you know, Europe has a very big ambitions to actually build vast electrolyzer networks. So think of it, uh, you know, for 10 gigawatts of electrolyzers that, for example, uh, uh, Netherlands is planning alone, this amounts to about 40 to 50 caverns that the Netherlands is, are going to need in order to manage the assets optimally right so it's uh, it comes down to really uh, capex management you have to have a, a a place to store product that you are producing in a similar way that the factory needs a warehouse right to store the they, they don't always have demand and the same level as supply right so so that's way you have you you have to have a buffer where you can store your product. So um, and then going back to the existing three caverns in Texas, and these were built mainly for security of supply. So essentially, that these big uh, industrial gas companies could provide hydrogen at a predictable, steady rate to their customers. Right. The ones that are will be built in Europe are built from for a little bit slightly different reason. They are uh, going to provide essentially yes, also security of supply, but uh, to decarbonize, to decarbonize the entire industry, right? Mainly heavy industry, uh, utilities, power generation, steel factories, cement factories, fertilizer factories, right? So very, uh, it's a it's a much broader scale of deployment versus in Texas. You know, this was purely for per, almost 100 percent for refining purposes, right?
0: I mean, you touched on a challenge there, and I think to give our listeners some context, one of the things that you mentioned there, it's kind of five to seven years to develop that market maturity, so. You're, Essentially trying to predict the future a little bit. What does the hydrogen economy look like in 2030? And then how do we set the business up accordingly? You know, that's a a huge challenge to face. But can can you walk us through a couple of the other challenges and, you know, ones you may have faced already, but also ones that you're anticipating?
1: So timing of this is really important, right? Because you have to raise the entire value chain. At the same time right so yes you're gonna you're gonna see production uh production projects coming online uh, use cases consumption projects right but you have to fit in at the right time so you cannot overshoot with the storage versus capa- capacity right you cannot undershoot you have to have the just right amount so you know you, you always obviously you have to start somewhere but at the current rate of the projects that are in the pipeline, the production projects, I think I would be probably okay to say that we're, we're, we're going to need, um, you know, about 15 to 20 caverns uh, at, uh, at, by 2030 in this north uh, north ne- northern Netherlands kind of northern Germany region um, based on the projects that are in the pipeline. Some of the projects uh, have to still go through final investment decision point. But I I, w- I would say the timing is going to be key. But I I am pretty optimistic about just being at the right time with with the ser- with the service. Right at the end of the day, we're going to pr- be providing service of storing molecules for companies that are either produce or consume hydrogen i think we will if anything else the challenge will be that there will be not enough storage by 2030 and going forward as well i think there will be a, this will be a huge bottleneck now of course there is a small chance that it's it's still a risky business if you talk to any financing institutions uh they they have a lot of they assess uh, this to be a very high risk venture but never, nevertheless i mean there is um yeah the first movers will have to bear a little bit more risk but there is with high risk there's higher reward or reward as well you want to be the first in the market to provide that kind of service you set uh, you set pricing call the commercial terms benchmarking there are also some advantages to being one of the first ones so that's the timing on the timing side the timing risk uh there is also uh there's policy risks right so uh, the actual permitting licensing process is not exactly set in some of these countries yet the policy makers are making these policies as we speak and they will be slowly slowly deployed but we know that we are uh, way behind uh, on the on the kind of on the meeting the you know the paris agreement curve so that's 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 going to be a challenge they have to particularly european union has to put uh, some kind of emergency process for permitting these projects on the entire value chain right so from from wind farms to electrolyzer facilities, uh, storage facilities, uh, all the way to use cases, right? So without that policy support, you, you're not. we're not going to be able to meet these ambitious emission reduction targets. So that's one of the challenges, right?
0: One of the things that I think is becoming increasingly evident is um, not just um, individuals supporting each other and being collaborative, but companies supporting each other and being collaborative and now countries and and whole regions of the world supporting each other. And you touched on kind of getting projects through FID. We're seeing more and more where one organisation is helping its competitor with, you know, ways and means of doing these things to make sure that more and more projects are reaching that stage, which means that the industry itself is advancing. And hopefully that becomes exponential in terms of the advancement. And then, you know, all of these different areas start to line up.
1: Yes. And they are, at the moment, uh, they are kind of bound by geographic, they call them, uh, you know, hydrogen hubs or hydrogen valleys, a little bit bigger. Uh, but with with time going 2035 35 and 20, you know, 2040, uh, these hydrogen hubs will be connected to hydrogen valleys, these valleys will be interconnected. And at the end of the day, um, probably in 10 years, 10 years times, so you're going to have a very healthy hydrogen, low carbon hydrogen market and, and hydrogen will be a commodity, right? So a globally traded commodity and that's what you want you know to really emerge this um you know this market um that you know the, the the lowest the lowest supplier will will win i mean this is at the end of the day that's gonna that's what's gonna happen so you're creating economy of scale at this point Eric, in 10 10 years times when when you connect it for example your suppliers in the middle east uh, there will be a lot of uh, a lot of hydrogen actually made in the middle east uh, the irony is that this is actually a very prolific fossil fuel place, uh, you know. But um, but they they understand the the principle of switching early and being the first mover, right? Uh, so you're going to have green ammonia coming to Europe from Saudi Arabia, from uh, from other countries in in the Arabic Peninsula, and and from North Africa as well. There is a lot of projects. There are we will be there will be supplying the green hydrogen to you to, to european markets right and um you know the 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 really great and i wanted to touch on another point here a uh, really good thing about uh, starting this up in europe is that europe europe really understands why this has to be a green hydrogen right because uh, Europe has been subjected to this uh, to, to to the energy crisis of the last year. You know, so uh, one unfortunate event can set off you know um, Europe on this really difficult part of vol- volatility price of pricing right of energy prices. When you look at uh, blue hydrogen, which is hydrogen made from it's also called considered low carbon hydrogen if you capture the CO two and store it, blue hydrogen is going to be subject to similar volatility going forward, right? So in the next, whenever the, the you know there's if there's a next war, uh, and the, or big oil and gas producers uh, or the OPEC cartel squeezes the pricing market for for uh, natural gas, we don't want Europe to see similar you know prices of blue hydrogen or hydrogen generally. To go up. That's why I think uh, it's really key to stay on track and on, on building that hydrogen economy on green hydrogen, not on blue hydrogen.
0: Now we're going to switch things up. So this season is all about founders. And as much as it's incredible to hear the story of the business and, and how you're going to tackle these challenges, I think something that I always like to focus on is the person as well, because sometimes the journey of being a founder or an entrepreneur is is a tough one, potentially a lonely one. Um, you have your co-founder, so, you know, you at least in not going totally solo. But something that I find very interesting is how people stay motivated. How do you keep yourself on track? How do you keep that kind of positive mindset when you are tackling what essentially is huge challenges and ones that you can't always impact? And I think there's a big difference between challenges that you can personally impact and big challenges that are essentially out of your control, or at least in the main out of your control. So how do you stay positive? How do you keep positive mindset?
1: This is a really key key question. I mean the, you know, what really what really keeps me keep me up at night, right? And and really motivate me to uh, get get in the morning, go go to work. You know, I see I see this, I I have a very personal story about this, right? I mean, we with our four kids, we want to contribute be contributing our talents and our skills towards Better future for them, right? So, so when I when I think about this, yes, yes, we did start the company. Uh, we are we are self-funded still. We are looking for that right partnership uh, still. So we have a lot of interest and a lot of companies that. Would like to participate in this so we are still in the midst of uh, securing that uh, that that big investor or that's that, that financial support but you know even though we are self-funded uh, you know and and there there you know better days and worse days in terms of starting up this business you know i still think about my kids at the end of the day when i you know when we read them to at the bedtime and and that's that's kind of my main driver right like i want to make sure that i don't Contributes to this uh, climate disaster, right? So you know, this is this is really the main main driver. Obviously, I have a lot of passion for for how to do it, right? Uh, and that's, that drives me kind of on the more of a you know closer to the ground level. But the big picture is really you know that, right? And I I don't really lose focus. I try to be really focused on that. We try to obviously bike everywhere. Teach our kids how to live a low carbon life. Right, so they 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 understand the sensitivities around, uh, you know, digging digging carbon out of the ground and emitting it as a, in the in terms of uh, CO2 into the atmosphere. They understand that, and they are also you know connecting the, these dots as well with us, right? As they grow and explore the world themselves, so uh, we want to be their role their role models, right? In that in that journey through life educate them and that uh, that business is my uh, my second job my first job is still a parent right so although that business is taking a lot of the time in my day i'm doing it for 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 them right so this is this is uh, uh it's not the other way around right we're not here f- for the money we obviously we we are on a mission right so we are it's, it's slightly different motivation right and uh, that's why we are uh, we are also you know we're taking a little bit more time to partner up with the right invest investors that are on the same page right we don't want to be uh, used as a as a publicity tool right to to greenwash a company right Company's image we want to partner up with company that is serious in decarbonizing uh economy and going back to your question i mean uh yes i mean how do we stay stay positive yeah it's it's just looking looking at our our youngsters here every day and and then just not forgetting that we are, you know, yeah, we, we, we committed to, to this mission. And we just, we just have to carry carry on.
0: I think it actually through um, the different questions that I've asked you, we've touched on the topic a couple of times of education. And I think this more so than than lots of areas of energy is an area that people do need to be educated on. How do we do that? How do we explain what it is, why it's helpful, what the right and wrong ways to go about it are? Do you have any views on how we can educate people? I don't just mean children.
1: I mean, the, yeah, this whole... Public uh, public engagement, right? In the in the public discourse, is very skewed. Unfortunately, most of uh, most of the public discourse is uh, happening in the fossil fuel kind of space, right? Uh, I don't think that there's enough enough still. Like I'm thinking globally, we live in a little in the Netherlands is a bit of a bubble. But you know, when you can when you come out of the bubble and uh, talk to uh, the rest of the world, it is very much uh, you know we we need energy by all means right and that's kind of the um, the, the slogan right uh, even if it's if it's going to cause glow, you know our planet to to heat up that's you know to some degree that's true but uh, we also are very smart we have put people on the moon we we can figure out how to the way to uh, to tackle this as an engineering problem right uh, we can we can we can uh, educate people about their other ways to actually produce and consume energy in more sustainable way actually you know when you when you think about this i don't know how many people know but the cheapest form of energy you can actually electricity that you can that you can produce today is actually solar that is uh, you know like some of these uh, solar projects along power power purchase agreements that were bid in in the arabic peninsula are are at the at the level of like 1.5 cents a kilowatt hour which is this is the cheapest form of energy. So, when you think about this, even from economic perspective, right? Uh, we can. It's it's just a matter of how to uh, deploy at scale and package this and really export it to all the countries that have they have this fortune, for, you know, fortune to have a lot of sun or wind, right? But uh, but sun is actually um, you know. So when you when you think about this, uh, Africa is also a, a, it's a huge continent, obviously, with many countries, but. A lot of these countries uh, have uh fossil fuel a lot of resources but they they also have a lot of other resources right sun and wind uh, where you can you can quick make uh, this transition and bring that the society uh, up to kind of uh, you know um, not out of poverty but like bring them up in so they they can live there afford uh, a lot of things uh, that are you know common to us right so they can uh, they can travel. They can. They can have uh, heating. They can have. They can heat their food. They can refrigerate their food. So these things can actually happen with with re- renewables, right? And we, as much as effort we put into educating the society that we need energy, uh, one step further is educating that that we can actually do it in a sustainable sustainable way, um, and not necessarily again taking carbon out of the ground and and. And then putting it in the cycle where it ends up in the atmosphere and you know warm, warms up the planet even more. So yeah, that's that's the key. Where where do we do it and how is is another question. Uh, you know that takes takes a, an effort. Policies again, right? Working with governments. So you know it's not trivial. It's it's probably the, one of the diff- more the more difficult thing to do. If you have an educated society, they will make smarter choices, right? They will realize that actually yes, it's. Uh, it's probably we should be, we should be investing in re- renewables and, and creating these low carbon economy for for themselves and for their children. Fossil fuels are not you know you you, you take them out of the ground and they don't there is no way to replace them right. So, um, but um, in in terms of. You know, other energy like sun, sun. I mean, obviously, on in our in our in a time scale that we are, uh, it's it's considered renewable, right? So we we always have uh, endless amount of uh, solar energy and. we can can harness it.
0: And you touched on an interesting point there. I think I'm not sure of the exact words that you used, but essentially this is a global problem. And the last time we spoke, we talked about one of the big challenges we have globally is that some of the brightest talent and some of the, the smartest and most creative people in the world are still working on the oil and gas side. And for companies who aren't making the transition to green energy, do you have I guess, either any advice for them on what they could do in this side or or any suggestions on how we encourage more of that brilliant talent to, to make this step. And I guess to use some of your own words, the kind of more meaningful, more purposeful, more fulfilling career.
1: Yes. I, so I see this, uh, you know, we've been on the ground for nine months and I've I've uh, I've been to a lot of big renewable or green energy meetings and hydrogen meetings. Um, there is definitely lack of talent, or or not enough talent, that is thrown at, at how to solve this and deploy these technologies at scale. I think this is a huge problem. I mean, there is uh, we we're we're we are in a talent war as we are already, and then on top of that, we are also trying to build this parallel economy, right, based on hydrogen. I see a lot of when I was in oil and gas, I saw a lot of frustration for from very smart and talented people that uh, would make that jump over to renewables or the low carbon economy or and industry, you know, but uh, the pay is not the same, obviously, right? So, so they are, you know, they, they, they are considering this uh, to be kind of enclosed in this uh, golden cage, right? Or, or having a golden handcuffs, right? Because, but I, uh, you know, I took down, I took down these golden handcuffs and I made that jump. It's very fulfilling. Uh, it's, it really gave, yeah, gave me another purpose in life and I'm, I'm i'm chasing something that i would i would not otherwise be able to do in any other or you know in the, in the oil major for example i would my you know my recommendation is to just ask yourself really when whether you know the the financial uh, compensation is really the the main purpose and meaning of of, of your life right uh Perhaps, perhaps it's not. You know, maybe money isn't everything. I am doing, you know, for the first time in a very long time. I'm actually doing something that I really love, and I, you know, I wake wake up in a very energized in the morning, and I go to work trying to to make the change. You know, no no money in the world would be able to really f- like give you that. Kind of sense of purpose right so i think there is uh, that's that's going to be that's going to have to be another discussion right how we, how we bring the talent over make a case uh, and what you know this conversation in clean tech is is one of the you know platforms that you can where you can you can make an example and, and and show somebody that you can you can actually have a fulfilling and very happy career and it doesn't have to be an oil and gas uh, you can pivot your career to something else successfully Right, and, and, and I, I, I don't look back. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really has been great. You
0: got me sold.
1: Yeah, yeah, if you're on the verge, you're thinking, you already, you already made that decision. Uh, you're just delaying and you're wasting your time. That would be my recommendations for people who are mm-hmm. kind of on the verge of pivoting their career or just not being happy, frustrated with uh, the greenwashing, right? They want to do something really uh, substantial just close your eyes and do it. Uh, And then things will fall into place in the right way.
0: And just to echo that, I think as someone that sits in that talent space day in, day out, I'm very confident in saying whatever you do in in the oil and gas space, or even looking at kind of other industries, automotive, kind of wider industrial manufacturing, your skills will be transferable and there is a space for you. And a career with purpose that you can feel proud of what you do is something that that I agree with you. You know, you can't replace that with a with finance. I do also understand that people have to live and people have bills. But if you get to a point that you can have some flexibility in what that looks like in order to to have a greater purpose in life, I I certainly recommend. Yes, no, oh, thank you. I, I echo that too. Well, Piotr, that was a um, a really insightful conversation. I thank you for educating the listeners on hydrogen storage, but also for telling your own story and for being someone that can juggle starting up a new business moving continents and looking after four children is uh is no mean <laughs> feat yeah
1: i certainly appreciate your invitation and really i, I had a lot of fun having uh having chat with you and and being on your on your uh podcast so thank you for
0: that likewise thanks for joining me
1: yes bye I-